Welcome back to the first step with me, Jill Sachek. I'm really excited to present to you Joan Randolph, an old friend of mine that I met through the yoga world. And I'm excited for our conversation today. Hi, Joan. Hello, Jill. So good to be here. Yeah, thank you for saying yes to this. So just a little background about um, how this podcast came to be and what it's going to be about. In general, we're here to discuss between the two of us um, our common, what we might call distrust of the healthcare system, and maybe even in broader sense, you know, government um, directives. And I offered you a chance to come on the podcast because I love giving people a platform to talk about things that otherwise we don't really get to discuss. And I'll just share first off personally, especially through these COVID times, it's been very difficult. I found for myself to openly discuss any criticisms I have of healthcare or health policy because people have become so charged. This topic has become so charged. And anytime, you know, we question the directives from Health Canada or, or, you know, just policy in general by government, we, in general, we are kind of pigeonholed now into being like tinfoil wearing hat conspiracy theorist fringe people or something. And when I was um, talking to you, Joan, the other day, I felt like, oh man, here's a woman who's really been through um, a health crisis of her own and was very brave and courageous to really decide for yourself what you wanted to do. And you absolutely steered away from what health care would recommend. So do you want to tell us a little bit more about your health journey and how you came to kind of go against what would be normal recommendations or tell us, do you want to tell us a little bit more about that health journey? Sure. Um, I was diagnosed with breast cancer and um, I, I didn't really want to, I, I thought my, it was one of those things where I thought my body could handle it and deal with it. And I have a husband who's, you know, worried about me. So, okay, we go. And also two other women in my classes at the same time were diagnosed at the same time. And so I felt a responsibility. I told my classes that I was going on a healing journey. I wasn't going to be around because I was going on a healing journey. Um, and it was kind of like, what? And it was like, well, I have breast cancer and now I have to see what I'm going to do. And so because of the other girl who was, there was one that was 10 years younger than me, one that was 10 years older than me. And so I was, I was kind of trying to be supportive for her too. So um, we ended up going to see an oncologist in the same day. And we were both told the exact same, same story, which was odd. Cause I mean, yep, it's breast cancer, but we're two different people. Anywho, so we ended up starting our chemo the same time. Well, we had our surgery within a week of each other, then our chemo. And um, she was she had three rounds. I was supposed to have six rounds. And the thing was, they said, we have come so far with chemo that you will not throw up. You will not be sick at all. Like, it just doesn't happen anymore. We can control that. 
And so I had my first round and I threw up four hours exactly after my chemo. And I thought, okay, well, I had something to eat when I got home and I thought maybe that's what it was. Okay, so fine. So I had my second round of chemo and I threw up three times, four hours exactly after my chemo. And the third time I was throwing up, I had five, I threw up five times and I had dry heaves for three days after. And it was at that point I thought, and plus the next three rounds was going to have a drug in it that caused neuropathy. And as a yoga instructor, and that's my life, movement's my life, I could not, I couldn't see myself having to deal with that. And so I chose and I just, and because my husband had saw, like he said, I would go from looking healthy to looking like a corpse. And so with his support, I said, that's it, I'm not doing anymore. And so when I went in for my last um, check, I said, I'm not coming back for the three rounds. And they said, well, you have to come back and talk to your oncologist then tomorrow. And I thought, okay, I owe him that. I'm not sure why, but um, I went in and he didn't show up. A woman came in that was like, if anybody's ever been to a timeshare presentation where they think they're going to get you to buy something, that's what it was like. It was over an hour of being told, it's okay, dear, we can get you through this. Didn't matter what I said, like I asked her at one point, I said, do you think my mind has anything to do with this? And she says, oh, it's okay, dear, we can get you through this. And it's like, you're not even listening to me. Mm-hmm. Who was she? Who was the woman? They never, I never, ever knew. She just came in and she was meeting with me and was going to get me through this. So anyway, I ended up having to say, okay, fine. I will show up for my chemo tomorrow. And I walked out and my poor husband, he's like, he said something. I can't remember what it was, but it was like, he was expecting I was coming back the next day. And I said, I just started to cry and said, no, that was the only way we were going to get out of there by me saying I would go. But I just thought, you know what? I, I don't believe, I think chemo is going to kill me. I don't think that cancer is going to kill me. I believe chemo is going to kill me. Mm -hmm. I didn't go back. And then a year went by and I went back to see my doctor. And after I'd had my surgery, the first time there was um, the doctor said post-surgery, he said, the incision is really hard right now that will soften up and um, it won't be so hard. So when it did, there was still a lump there. So a year after I saw my doctor and she says, Joan, there's a lump here. And I said, yeah, I know it was there from day one. It's scar scar tissue. And then year two, it's still there. Joan, there's this lump here. And I said, I know it's scar tissue. And um, year three, it was like, "We, we need to test this. And again, I wish I'd listened to my inner voice, but they wanted to do a biopsy. And so they did. And it was the same cancer in the same spot. And of course, they wanted me to go through it all again. And I said, no, I'm not doing that. I did it once and it didn't get me anywhere except for being really sick. So I chose to go and do vitamin C um, IVs for a bit because apparently um, cancer doesn't know the difference between sugar and vitamin C. And when you load the system and you have to go IV because you can't take enough in orally for it to stay. 
So they IV for an hour, the vitamin C, and the cancer would then grab the, onto the vitamin C and vitamin C will kill it. And it thinks it's sugar. So I did that. I changed my diet. Um, I did a whole bunch of alternative things and I listened to my students. My students were my best. They would come in with, have you tried this? Have you tried that? And I had this thing that if I heard it three times, then I had to try it. I had to listen because somebody was trying to tell, give me a message. And so there was lots of things that I, I, I'm still here today, I think, because of one, I don't believe. I think I have, if I can create this, I can get rid of it too. Mm-hmm. My students were there for me to be supportive and find ways to that they thought. And I think too, I also gave them permission to make their decision. Like it doesn't have to always be um, the medical system. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, and how many years later are we now? Um, well, I was diagnosed the first time in 14 and 17 the second time. And so we're 22 now. Wow. So um, eight years later. And I had a 50-50 chance of surviving five years. Wow. Stand around. And how are you feeling today? I am fine. I am. Yeah. You feel healthy. I still have a lump. But it's like I've had two, um, let's say, not emergencies, but I had to go to the hospital and they were, and that's the thing too. They know by my charts, what I've done and what I haven't done. And both times I was there for something totally different and they were looking for a mass, which was not there. Wow. So I've had that verification now twice in the last three years. There's still nothing. Wow. Wow. It's gone yeah, it's so interesting. Like, I, I don't know if I told you this story, but um, Danny and I had uh, have a friend um, when he was in his early 20s, he was diagnosed with stage four brain cancer. And the doctor said to him, um, go live your life. Like you might have six months, do everything you've ever wanted to do. Uh, there's nothing we can do or whatever we're going to do is going to be so brutal and as will probably lead to the same outcome anyways you're better off just really going while you still can and doing some stuff that you really want to do and he went to India and learned um, Ashtanga yoga and he's never been back to a doctor and he's he's 40 something he's my age and I don't know what happened to his brain cancer I don't think he knows what happened to his brain cancer (laughs) But he's living, thriving. I don't know. Is this a miracle? Is this, you know, the power of our our mind over our body? Can we can we heal ourselves? I mean, I'll tell you and, and listeners another story. When I was um, young, my menstrual cycles were all over the shop. This is just another story about you know how our medical system deals with it, and then stepping away from it and and getting really the result that I wanted anyways. But um, when I was young, my uh, menstrual cycles were all over the place. And I, I, you know, I think I I had the question, like, should I be concerned, right? Like I didn't have a regular cycle. And when my um, 
when I went to my family doctor, she, her remedy was just to go on birth control pills. And I did, because at the time, I think I was like 15 or whatever. And I just thought, well, she knows what she's talking about. But what, what fascinated me, especially looking back, I don't think at the time I was asking these questions, but looking back, I think like, why wasn't there the question of why the cycles might be off, you know, like, rather than just putting this Band-Aid hormone in my body to regulate it, which did make my cycles regular. But what was really interesting by the time I was, I don't know, let's say 23, you know, you're not supposed to be on the pill for more than 10 years or whatever it is, or your increase of stroke and whatever else increases, right? So around my early 20s, I was like, dang, I got to get off the pill, right? <laughs> like, I don't want to be on the pill forever. And when I came off the pill, again, my cycles were super irregular, like whatever problem existed before that was band-aided and covered up through the pill still existed. Like I wasted, I don't know, eight or whatever years band-aiding it and never really dealing with um, what, what was the root problem. And it was interesting because when I rediscovered my irregular cycles, I said to this crazy guy I was living in Mexico at the time, I don't think I'll ever be able to have children. Like I just, I have that feeling like I just, something's wrong with my women parts, you know? And he, he was just this crazy guy. I love him for saying this, but he was really like a crazy guy. And he was like, well, that is going to be true. As long as you think that like, <laughs> and then I, I went to, I actually like, you know, I went to a doctor down in Mexico and he diagnosed me with polycystic over ovary, P-O-P-S-O or, you know, polycystic ovary syndrome, poly P-C-O-S, is that what it is? And which um, now talking to more women who have tried to deal with PCOS or whatever it's called, um, have never gotten resolved from it and find it fascinating that through once I was diagnosed, I just started doing, and through his comment, started doing this kind of brain work. Like I was like, what am I really telling myself about my being a woman, me being a mother? And, um, and and I started to learn more about my cycles. We went to these fertility, um, like natural fertility people who would um, help teach you how to track your period, like track your cycle according to what kind of vaginal fluid you, you were experiencing or, you know, how many days from your period off. And you started to really understand your body through this. I can't remember exactly what the term was, but some kind of natural birth control through understanding your fertility, basically. And through that whole process, I mean, it was probably another close to 10 years um, with zero medical intervention. I got my periods completely regular and now it's been 20 uh, more than 20 years since that time with on the dot cycles, regular two babies later, zero like fertility, um, help from anybody, but just working with my own relationship with my body, mind, my beliefs, 
I believe that I pulled myself out of whatever that hormonal thing was, zero medical intervention. People must think like, well, that's just lucky or you're just a freak. So what do you say to people who, who might listen to our stories and think, um, well, you're just a freak of nature or you're a lucky dog or, and chemo or, or medical treatment is what saved my life. What would you say to those people? I think for chemo, I think it's a, they survived in spite of what they, they did to them. Like, I think, I think we have no idea the power of our mind and our body. And the more, like, they talk about how stress is so damaging to our body. And so to avoid it or find ways to deal with your stress. So then why couldn't it be that we think good thoughts about ourselves that I'm healthy and strong. There was one, like so many things came to me, but this was one that I just absolutely loved. A gal stopped and she said, a friend of hers, her husband, like her friend's husband had been diagnosed with stage four liver cancer. And he had a week and they wanted to take him back in and try to figure out what kind of protocol they were going to do. And to me, it was like, you're telling them he has four stage four cancer. liver cancer, what are you going to do? But anyway, his wife on the way home stopped at Staples, bought a scribbler and had him start writing healthy mind, healthy body. I am healthy, healthy mind, healthy body. I am healthy. He filled that scribbler. They went back on the next Thursday to see the oncologist and whatnot at the cancer. And there was no cancer. Wow. A stage four four cancer diagnosis was not there. So did they make that mistake or do we have that ability to heal? I happen to think we have that ability. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's wild. That's wild. I know there's so many of these stories, right? And, and I guess, you know, this isn't to say that that anybody should choose one route or another. I really think people should have choice over their bodies. You know, I'm, I'm grateful. Like, um, you know, when I was having my first child, uh, if I didn't have doctors cutting me open with a C-section, I believe that either he or I would have died. You know, it was just a situation of uh, umbilical cord three times around the neck, nowhere to move down or no way to move down. So thank God, right? Like, thank God for mental medical intervention in some circumstances. And if people choose that that's the route they want to take, great. It's not a judgment on people who want to take that route. And if you get health by taking that route, I'm happy for you. But what I also feel inclined to speak to is that I think like in my case, sometimes these medical interventions band-aid or bias time, but they also have other side effects or complications or, or implications on our health that we don't really get to discuss. And I also think that there's not enough conversation about 
yeah, what you're saying, like how powerful our mind is and or other ways that potentially may do less harm in the long run. Maybe they take longer to get results or maybe we have to participate more in that process. But I think there are definitely other ways to manage our health than simply handing it over to um, the medical professionals. I don't know if you knew that know this, but I was again, I got so many books given to me too over this course of this time. But one of them talked about how in the 18 or in the early 1900s, there was all kinds of homeopathic schools where you could go and become a naturopath, a doctor of naturopath. And there was the medical profession, and I believe there's room for both. But then greed comes into play, and the pharmaceuticals decide that, you know what, um, we'd like to be on the board of your medical schools. And so then they get on the boards, and then pretty soon they want to dictate how the doctors are doing things. And then they say, okay, I think there should be a standard test to be a doctor, which totally eliminates the, the naturopaths from being a doctor of medicine. And then now it's driven by the pharmaceuticals who get to dictate what the doctors can do and what they can give us. I went to see my, I went to a naturopath, I got put on, um, I had some issues with my thyroid, which was interesting too. I found out Every person that I, every woman that I came across that told me they had um, breast cancer was diagnosed with hyperthyroidism prior to being diagnosed with cancer, myself included. So something was going on there. But anyway, and he put me on desiccated thyroid. I go to my medical doctor when I need a prescription filled thinking, okay, she's been my doctor forever. Why can't she give me this? So I I can't give you that. What do you mean? And she says, well, you can't even get that. And I says, well, I just filled it the last time I had it. And because you got five prescriptions. And she says, well, you can't get it. I says, well, just give me a prescription. I know where I can go and get it. And if I can't, I'll come back and I'll take your Synthroid. I found my desiccated thyroid. But I also found out had she given me that, she could have lost. She, she did give it to me, but she could have lost her job because she was giving me something that wasn't pharmaceutical. Wow. And that's, that's sad to think that if a doctor knows something that's helped someone, they can't pass it on to someone else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Why can't they work together? I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the point, you know, for me, why I lost trust in healthcare um, I mean, again, it's not to say like if I broke my arm, I'd be very grateful to go to the urgent care and get a cast, you know, so I don't mean to dismiss the ways that I think it can serve humanity. I think we've made um, advancements, technology and um you know, research discovery through different um, compounds that can definitely help. But where I lost mistrust was that there was never an exploration of health, of whole health, that there seems to be only, as you're saying, 
this kind of one root that always relies on comes down to either a pill or surgery, that there's very, very little discussion with any kind of um, modern medical doctor around like things like you're talking about stress management or diet or emotional managing our emotions or our mindset, or, you know, do we have enough support network in our lives or other things that could be going on? And I think, you know, we're not just parts and pieces that can be separated. We are, we are whole beings and our emotions and our mental body definitely affects the physical. And if you're not going to look at all of them, how would we ever achieve whole health through that approach? I think it always ends up being um, a band-aid. And I think we never talk about the fallout of those procedures like the scar tissue, especially if people are getting surgery after surgery in the area of the abdomen. Um, and then what that means for digestion. And then, you know, we know how important digestion and elimination are. And once you start messing with the body, I think even if you've solved some things, if you're just kind of attacking the body as though it's a problem, it always usually, or, or, or very often at least ends up in other bigger complications down the road. Almost like it's fighting back. Yeah. Yeah. From being attacked. And, you know, um, yeah, like I have a, I have a girlfriend whose son was treated for um, childhood cancer and came through, came to the other side through all of that. Um, I bet, you know, in many ways she was like, thank God, right. Thank God for, for saving my baby's life. But it was interesting because a couple years later, a few years after he was finished treatment and clear of cancer, um, he in the middle of the night had a brain bleed. Mm. And when she looked like, why would this happen? Like, why would he have a brain bleed? It's an explicit side effect of his cancer treatment clearly stated. So it's like this kid went through, I mean, and he survived. He's an amazing human who, who wants to live like back to just wanting to live. So despite everything that he's been through, despite like when he had his brain bleed, I think everybody who heard the story, especially and in including the doctors was like, if this guy survives, he is not going to have any functioning um, parts to his existence, you know? Um, and despite all of that medical jargon, <laughs> fully functional, I think the only thing right now that he struggles with is somewhat of so, a little bit of function of one of his hands. Wow. So yeah. Despite all of that, you know, and, and what, yeah, what is it really that um, brought him through? Is it the the surgery and the treatments and the drugs? Or is it his will to live and his mama's amazing, nurturing, caring mm-hmm. um, care for him? I don't know. And then there's this part now with what's going on. We had a good friend whose wife 
was diagnosed in December of last year with breast cancer. And she went in and had her surgery. And then she went home and was waiting, I assume, to do her protocol and ended up back in hospital with problems in her abdomen. And so she had Crohn's, so she just thought it was that. And she was gone by April. It was um, cancer of the uh, um, 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 the one that's for pancreas, pancreatic cancer. And to and her daughter, she had a daughter, has a daughter, who is a ET, um, and uh, her dad was re really upset because it was all about the people that were in the hospital because of COVID and the unvaccinated were taking up all this the things, and um, the daughter said to us just recently, she said, "Dad thinks it was that." But she said, the system was broken before. COVID just showed us how broken it was. Mm -hmm. And so all these things that have been going on for years are still going on, but now it's a broken system. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And I, um, you know, I really... I think it's it's a tough place, right? Like for nurses and doctors, because I think the the medical professionals that go into that line of work do it for the right reasons. They're caring people, they're they're nurturers, they're they want to help. They want to help people. And I think it's a little bit too like, you know, teachers that get into the education system or politicians who get into politics. Like I think the people that get into these professions go in with good intentions. But I do think that the system is set up sadly more and more even in education for profit. You know, that that it it's become about money and it it isn't really about health and i think if it were about health then we would see changes and you know one thing covid that just shocked me that i was like you know if if we can have a global um like lockdown like if governments can have the power to do such a huge thing like lock you in your home what are they waiting for to make like a really radical change that we all know needs to happen within healthcare? If, you know, if it's as easy as like, this is how we're going to do things and you all have to listen. I mean, why not do that for some um, positive change? If what was, you know, the goal was positive change. Like, why isn't it being made? I'm going to give you an example, listeners, an example. My friend just, just posted this. I don't know who he was visiting in the hospital, but he took a picture of the food that they were served. Oh my goodness. One, let me just say it was served in a styrofoam to go dish. And it, this was the dinner. It was a hot dog and a white bun with a single pickle and a like canned refried beans full of sugar, of course. That was dinner in a hospital, a hot dog on a white bun with a pickle 
and canned refried beans full of sugar. If this system cared about health, that is not what they'd serve. And if government was serious, I mean, here we go on a tangent into like, you know, the climate, but like serving your food in your government institutions in styrofoam in 2022. I mean, come on, somebody is, somebody's making a lot of money and nobody's getting really healthy. No, not at all. It's, it is so frightening what's going on. We have a a good friend who is, um, now we'll go to another topic. Um, she's a vice principal and she's, she was a student of mine. And this just shows the the, um, commitment she has to her job and how much she loves her kids in the school system. She couldn't come to any yoga classes during the week because she was at school at 7am. So she left home at six to be on the other side of Edmonton. And, and she never got home until seven o'clock at night. So she couldn't make a class. So I was offering classes on Sundays. That's the class she got to come to so she could make it to a class. We ran into her, haven't seen her over COVID. And we ran into her just here in the last couple of months in the mall and asked her how she was doing. And she says, well, you know, I'm 53 years old and I thoroughly expected to retire at 65, maybe 60 if I, you know, but she said, I don't even know if I'm going to make it to 55. She said that our minister of education has made it, and she's all about the kids and their parents, the the communication between the two. And she, no teacher is allowed to send any message home to the parent or heaven forbid, call a parent to tell a parent what's going on with their child at school. Wow. Nothing. They are not allowed to communicate. They will lose their job. If they communicate with a parent on anything that that child is doing at school. So you want to talk about the transgender? They can go, a child wants to transgender. They can go, they, the school has to provide somebody for that child to talk to about transgendering. And that parent is not told about it. Wow. That's coming from somebody in the school system. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I see this, you know, also like, back to in the nurses and the doctors, like I see their own gag order in that same way, you know, like the teachers have a gag order and the nurses have a gag order and the doctors have a gag order. I mean, I think I've told this on one of my other podcasts, but early on in um, COVID, I was, I'm always skeptical about, um, yeah, receiving any kind of treatment. So I was like trying to arm myself with like, what could I do for myself. And, and I, I was trying to educate myself and I went in, I (laughs) story is going to be kind of convoluted, but, um, I haven't been to my doctor here in Canada since we've moved it. You know, we moved here 11 years and we, God bless, got a doctor because it's not that easy where we're living. And the office calls me pretty, you know, like regularly every couple of years and says like, Hey, you're due for a pap or you should come in and, you know, you don't even have a baseline on your charts or anything you should. And, um, around this time when COVID hit, they, I don't know, I think, I I don't know what the deal was, but they were applying more pressure. Like if you don't 
get on, like come and see the doctor, make use of him. Um, we're basically kicking you off his roster. So I was like, okay, I'll come in for a pap smear. <laughs> and I'm going to ask him a question about ivermectin because there was so much talk about it. And I wanted to really know, like, could this help? Like, if we get COVID, is this something that we should try to source and take? Because it sounded like there was quite a bit of evidence for its use. And Joan, it was hilarious because I had my feet up in the stirrups and you know, it's kind of like an intimate, awkward moment. And he's facing away from me, like starting to put on the gloves. And, um, and I say to him, so, you know, doc, if, if one of your clients were to get COVID, would you recommend taking ivermectin as treatment? And like dead silence, like pin could have dropped in the room and we would like, it would have sounded like loud. It was just like frozen. He was frozen with like, how can I answer this question? And his words to me were, there is one acceptable treatment for COVID and it's vaccination. And I thought, how can this be the answer to my question? Like it's, I'm asking about ivermectin and why can't you talk about it? Like, even if you're against it, even if there's really valid reasons why you don't want to do it, why you would recommend against it, why can't we have a conversation about it? What is this gag order where you can't talk or discuss certain things with the person who's supposed to be in caring for your health. I find that fascinating. Or like your story about that woman who you're there to talk about your health and she didn't hear a word you said. Yeah. So who, yeah. Who really cares about our health? Do you think? We do. And that's all. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> up to us, totally. And you want to talk about the ivermectin. There was something that um, I think somebody sent us something about this. It was a it was a doctor in Rimby, an ER doctor that was on um, his shift off, and two guys phoned in sick, and so he went in to help out. Two women in there were sick with COVID. And he couldn't understand how come they haven't been given ivermectin and how come they're not on some other a vitamin D, I think it was, mm -hmm. something simple. And he prescribed both those things within, oh, he couldn't get the ivermectin because there wasn't any ivermectin in the hospital. Mm -hmm. And so somebody on staff said, uh, I know where we can get some <laughs> kind of under the table. And he said, what do you mean? Like, how come we don't? And so he phoned a pharmacy in town, the pharmacist phoned a vet and they got the ivermectin. He prescribed it to these two women. And in the process, it had already gotten out to whoever is in charge over these doctors. And he was told to go home and take them off of what he just put them onto. Mm -hmm. But luckily he had kept them on long enough. They went home the next day, healthy. Mm -hmm. I heard that story. I heard that story. I mean, I think it's, it's just, I think, you know, if, if there's a takeaway from our talk tonight, I hope it is for people that they do do their own digging around for information and that they don't 
only rely on what their doctor is telling them. I'm not proposing that people don't turn to their doctor when they have a medical issue. But if you are going to turn to a doctor that you consider, they, they are allowed to only discuss or look at or recommend certain things. And outside of that might lie some of the uh, answers. And so if you're going to listen to your doctor or turn to your doctor, that you also take some responsibility to broaden your search past what they might recommend or talk about and inform yourself, because I think you're right. The person who cares about our health the most is us. And the person that knows us the best is us. And I think at some level, we know how to heal ourselves, whether we're not anywhere near that thinking or or we deeply understand our ability to heal ourselves. I think everybody has the ability to heal themselves. Um, so what are some of the things, Joan, that you would recommend Um my, my podcast is called The First Step. I'm always trying to guide people towards things that may help them on their health and wellness journey. So what would you recommend for staying healthy or, or returning to a state of health? Um, you know, one of the interesting things I saw a chiropractor who is not a chiropractor, who is so much more. And when he first saw me, and this was after the cancer too, and he talked to me on a level that was up in my head, but it wasn't on this level. It was the weirdest thing. I knew what he was saying, but I didn't understand what he was saying here. Anyway, he said to me at some point through the thing, um, who haven't you forgiven? And so I think sometimes there's so much more to what's going on in us than just um, there's, there's lots of ways to tune in to ourselves and dig really deep for the answers to what's going on. And I, I really believe in some respects that we create the good, but we also can create the bad. Mm-hmm. And so if we have the ability to, to create good, we have the ability to heal. Mm-hmm. So just to um, reflect back what you said, you think the way to health or healing is by understanding our deeper inner workings, what we feel or think at a very deep, maybe even unconscious or subconscious level and clear out those things that may be causing blocks, stagnation, or whatever else you might call it. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I'm going to finish by asking you this Um which gosh might lead to like part two because it might open up a whole nother can of worms. But um, I want to ask, have you ever heard of, and I can't remember, I think it's Stephen something wrote a book called Die Wise or Die Wisely. Have you heard of it? What? Ooh, that might be worth um, looking at. It's for anybody listening. You know, he, he proposes something 
that I think is radical and kind of people like bump into it in a way that, that I think most of us reject on first thought about when, if, and when we do find ourselves in ill health and maybe past the point, maybe we've left our healing journey so long that we are in a state of decay or disease that is beyond what even say maybe, you know, our, our harsh and, and um, acute treatments might be able to solve that he, or, or we're getting to that point that he, he poses these really tough questions. Like, is it okay to die? You know, and dying wisely, you know, I think it's a pretty radical conversation in Canada. I think, you know, in Mexico, death isn't something so, so terrifying, but, you know, how, how much do we want to poison our body or cut our body or, you know, treat our body with these harsh, sometimes life-saving um treatments in resistance of the inevitable, which at some point, you know, accepting death. Do you, do you have anything to say to that? <laughs> well, I, I, I'm not afraid to die. Let's put it that way. Um, I would never take my own life. Um, but I think one of the doctors, when I saw him, he said, so if there's something here, would you do anything about it? If they found something else? And I said, mm, not sure. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, because everything's a, um, it's a moving stone. It's a moving target. It's a moving target. So I can't say but I know that I'm not afraid to die. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's what inspired me when I when I first heard you tell your story to 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 invite you to the podcast and speak more about it because I think it speaks to this thing that we don't get to hear often, which is I want to take it as it comes. You know, I want to. I want to deal with my reality, my struggles or my challenges or my dis-ease or disharmony head on. I don't want to just take the birth control pill and cover up my messed up cycles. I want to get to the root of, you know, why aren't they regular? And, and if I can't, let's say, you know, if I get to the point where I can't have children, can I accept that's my fate? Can I accept that life is handing me these experiences and that, you know, I have within my realm, the ability to, to learn from them or grow from them. And do I need all this interference or, or cover up of these things that life is handing me? And I don't think we, we don't have many, I don't have many people around me with the courage to do that. You know, so I think when you, when you told me your story about how you declined continued treatment, I, I think that really reaffirmed to me that we should have that choice. So again, it's not to say that everybody should choose that. Not for everyone. 
But if you have an inkling that you, you want to do some kind of, you know, different approach to healing, I also hope that this show inspires people and, and people hearing your story, that they feel empowered to make their own choices about their treatment or care and don't feel bullied or pushed into doing things to their body that maybe doesn't feel right to them. Exactly. Is there anything else you want to add? Um, other than the fact that sometimes when we try to go against the natural, like I think of a couple of people who chose to do everything that they were told to do. And in the process were so sick, they didn't get a chance to really spend the time with children that they had little children that they had, um, that they would have had had they not chosen. I mean, sure, everybody wants to think that, you know, I, I want to be, I, I want to be here. If I, and if this is going to work, then I'm going to try it. But now they've missed out on time that they could have been healthy and with those people and have, and have gone being very sick and not being able to even um, participate in the life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, but again, it's just, it's everybody's journey. Yeah. And I think that's what you and I would advocate for is that to choose to really think about what you want to do and what feels right and what's going to bring results that align with what's important to you and have choice and have options to manage your health in a way that that does align with with what feels right for you and not to feel pressured to follow some certain path because it is so mainstream or um, accepted. Well, thank you so much, Joan, for being here and sharing your story with us. I hope that um, if anybody is going through difficult health decisions that whether they accept modern medical treatment or not, that, that we've inspired them to believe that there is a lot that they can do for their healing journey and that to consider the power of, of their mind or, and even other alternative therapies. For sure. Thank Thanks. you. Thank you so much, Joan. And to all the listeners, may all beings be happy.